Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning and welcome to Bible Center Church. I am Pastor Mike, and I am so glad that Pastor Caleb is super excited about the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a series we're going to do in the month of August. It's July, so we're still doing God the Son for one more week. So next week, I hope Caleb comes back, and we're going to talk all about the Holy Spirit next week. So we have one more week talking about God the Son. And as we've spent July talking about God the Son, we've learned that as we study Him, we begin to reflect Him in the way we act and what we care about and how we think. And today we're going to look at kind of the nitty-gritty of Jesus' relationships, We know that he is now glorified. We learned last week that he is the preeminent one throughout all of scripture, all of eternity. But he's also the one who came as a man and had to deal with people on a daily basis. Uh, He had hard conversations. He had hard relationships because the world is full of hard people. So we're gonna look at how Jesus negotiated those things. When I think of hard people, it's hard for me not to think of Stacy from ninth grade. Uh, Stacy was in English class. She sat in the column beside me, one seat up. She was the type of person where she just was really mad at me. She would berate me. Uh, she would use very colorful language. You know that person when you walk in the room that they make a throw-up sound when you walk in the room? Well, that was Stacy when I would walk in the room. She just did not like me at all. She was a hard person in my life. But as I think back a little bit later or earlier in that story, there was a moment when I noticed with Stacy that her thumbs looked like big toes, like straight up big toes, like someone had taken big toes and put them onto her hand, like skinny at the bottom and then super big, like a big toe. And that was a thought that didn't just go through my head, I actually said it out loud to Stacy at some point. And it was from then on that all of a sudden Stacy and I had kind of a strained relationship. So it's very possible that Stacy is somewhere this morning talking about this really horrible person named Mike Graham from ninth grade in her English class. So we run into hard people throughout our life, but I also think it's important for us to know that sometimes we are also the hard people. Uh, As we head into our sermon, I want a couple questions to kind of go through our minds. And I think these are questions that we tend to ask anyways. Maybe not out loud, but somewhere deep, we think about these things. One, could Jesus really love someone like me? Could Jesus really love someone like me. You know yourself. I know myself, the thoughts, the frustrations, the things that we've done, the things that maybe we want to do. Like, you know those things about you. So one of the questions that sometimes can go through our heads is, can Jesus really love someone like me? Another question that I think goes through our minds is, could Jesus really love someone like that? And you know who I'm talking about, that person, that person that just rubs you wrong, that if you walk in the room, you see them in the room, you figure out some reason to leave the room, could Jesus really love someone like that? And the last question, maybe the hardest one is, would Jesus ever expect me to love someone like that? I think what we're gonna find is the answer is yes, and we're gonna find that by watching Jesus in some of his earthly relationships. Uh, As we spend time watching Jesus, a couple things I believe are gonna stick out. One, Jesus has friendships and relationships with all kinds of people. I really think he just kind of collects for himself this island of misfit toys. And he has those types of people all around him. And when I say that, I want you to know that I'm including me and I'm including you on that island of misfit toys. Nobody shows up perfect. Nobody shows up 
as the most likable person in the room. Like all of us have got our stuff. And Jesus, for some reason, in his goodness, in his kindness, circles his arms around so many people like us and says, you're mine and befriends us and has a relationship with us. We're also gonna find that Jesus meets people where they're at in their quirkiness, in the ways where they're frustrating, in their struggles, in their sins, in their brokenness, Jesus meets them where they're at. And we're also gonna find that Jesus doesn't leave us or leave them where they're at. By befriending Jesus that time with him through grace and love, he begins to change and grow and transform the people who he spends time with. That includes you and me. So when it comes to application today, I want you to do this. As we go through the different passages, we're gonna do this kind of in a story format. I'm gonna tell you stories uh, by sharing Jesus's relationships with Peter and John. And as I do, I want you to watch Jesus and keep asking yourself the question, do I love people like I see Jesus loving Peter and John? That's your application today. Keep thinking through that. Am I loving others in the way I'm watching my savior love these guys? Kind of our big idea for this morning, I think what I want us to walk away with is this. Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He grows us, he transforms us, and then he'll even use us in the lives of others. So as I mentioned, we're gonna go to the stories of Peter and John, and I pick Peter and John because they're very different personalities but yet Jesus drew both of them very close to him. He considered both of them very close friends. Now, there were a couple similarities between Peter and John. Both of them were fishermen. I think they came from families of fishermen. They both grew up in Bethsaida, which is like a little town on the Sea of Galilee. Likely, they've known each other their whole lives, Peter and John. Both ended up writing some books of the Bible, and both also had brothers, who Jesus called as disciples. Peter had Andrew and John had James. And both Peter and John, along with James, were part of Jesus's inner circle. Jesus had this inner circle of three guys who you would take on like special occasions and do things with them that they only got to see. And they were a part of that crowd. In terms of differences between Peter and John, Peter seemed extroverted, Peter was also always quick to speak and quick to act. Didn't always think through everything, but you see him going right into action. I would consider him impulsive. There's a point near the end, at the end of the Last Supper, when Jesus basically says, let's go, my betrayer is coming. Peter grabs like, some, like a dinner knife. He goes, Jesus, is this good? And Jesus is like, sure. Puts it in his toga or whatever he's got going on. And he heads out as Jesus's betrayer is coming. I don't know if you remember the story, but Peter pulls out his dinnerware and lobs off an ear. Like he's impulsive. Like Jesus thought, Jesus let Peter come along and Peter thought that was a good idea. Let's start cutting off ears. That will fix what's going on here. That's Peter. He was also brash, but he was also someone who was broken. You see moments with Peter where he would just cry when he knew that he hurt Jesus or betrayed Jesus in any way. So brash and broken. And Jesus looked at Peter and saw a future preeminent leader, John. John likely was more introverted, but John struggled with anger. He was quick to judge. Sometimes John lacked mercy. 
He was also willing to take advantage of situations and people for personal gain. He would often stand in the background and he would observe and he would watch. But at the same time, all those first things I just said being true, he also knew that he was deeply loved by Jesus. He was deeply trusted by Jesus. And we'll see that when we go deeper into his story. There were a couple shared experiences between Peter and John that kind of makes their personalities stand out. Uh, One of the ones that pops in my head is John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, Jesus has already risen from the dead, but most of them do not know this yet. A couple of the women encountered the empty tomb. So they went back and told the disciples. And most of the guys just didn't even believe what the women were saying. But the moment the ladies said out loud, the tomb is empty, Jesus does, or Peter doesn't ask any questions. He just jumps up and starts running, just starts running. Now, John stays back and listens a little longer. And John's the one who wrote this story. So Peter's already running towards the tomb. A little later, John gets up and he starts running towards the tomb. And John says that he gets to the tomb first. So at some point he passes Peter. I don't know if Peter's a little bigger guy or John's just a really good athlete, but he passes Peter and it says that John gets to the entrance of the tomb and he just kind of stops. And the passage describes him as just watching and soaking it all in. Peter goes busting past John right into the tomb to put his hands on it. What's happening? What's going on? That's just another picture of these two guys. One stands on the outside and watches and the other one gets right into it. John 21, one more story. At this point, Peter, John, and some of the disciples had gone back to fishing. Uh, They hadn't seen Jesus for a while. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's appeared a couple times. And they're like, well, let's, let's go get some fish. So they spend a bunch of time fishing. They don't catch any fish. And it says that someone from the shore calls out to them, do you have anything to eat? And the response is, no, we haven't caught anything. So the person from the shore says, well, put your net down and try this time. So this time they put their net down and the net fills with fish. This is the same thing that happened when Jesus first called John and Peter. And the moment that happens, it says this in 21.7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So John's watching, John's listening, John's catching what's going on. He looks to Peter and says, it's Jesus. The guy on the shore, it's Jesus. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he grabs his coat, sticks it on, and throws himself in the water. It doesn't say a swan dive. It doesn't even say a cannonball. I mean, we're just talking flops into the water. Coat, flop into the water. And he just starts heading towards Jesus. That's what Peter was like. Verse eight says, but the other disciples came in a little boat. Remember, they had all this fish they had to pull into the boat for they were not far from the land. So about 300 feet, like between here and the middle of the parking lot, that's how far they are from Jesus. And they're dragging this net full of fish. So you see one doesn't worry about the fish, doesn't worry about the other disciples. You guys can get the fish. I'm gonna go get Jesus. Throws himself in the water and goes. And there's something beautiful about that. And there's also that, Now there's more work for everybody who stayed in the boat and John stayed in the boat. So you see Peter and John, both loving Jesus, but being different in their personalities. So let's go a little deeper into Peter's story. One of the first things that Jesus does with Peter 
in John chapter 1, verse 42, is that he takes Peter aside, and Peter's name was Simon at the time, and he changes his name from Simon to Peter. Peter is, means rock. So Jesus, from the very beginning, looks at Simon and says to him by changing his name, I'm forming you into something I can build something on. You're gonna be a core piece of something that I'm building for the future. And Peter becomes one of the key pillars of the future church. The name rock signifies that. Jesus spends time in Peter's home. It says in Matthew 8, 14 through 15, that Peter's mother-in-law was sick. So Jesus just goes right into the home, heals his mother-in-law, and then it says she gets up and they make some food and they hang out together. How did Jesus love Peter? He spent time in the home he grew up in. He got to know his parents. He spent time with them, healed them, cared about them, sat in the same seats that they sat in growing up. There's a point where the disciples are in a boat on the water. Jesus is not in the boat. You've probably heard this story. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. So it looks like he's walking on the water, likely towards the boat. And John, it doesn't say this. This is Mike. John and the other disciples are probably waiting for Jesus to come to the boat. Peter is like, Lord, if that's you, call me to come to you. So instead of waiting for Jesus to get to the boat, Peter's thought is I should throw myself in the water and head to Jesus. And Jesus says, it's me, Peter. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. His eyes are focused on Jesus. And as he gets closer and closer, he starts to notice the waves and the winds and he starts to sink a little bit. Jesus in that moment reaches out, grabs Peter, pulls him back up and walks him to the boat. What does that say about his relationship with Peter? Jesus gave Peter space to go for it. He also gave Peter space and room in the relationship to fail. And either way, Jesus was there for Peter. In his relationship with us, we have room to go for it. And sometimes because we're still human, we're gonna fail. But there's never a moment where Jesus' hand will not be extended to bring us back up. A beautiful picture of friendship from Jesus. This is a really short verse, but in Matthew 15, 15, Peter just simply says, will you explain that parable to us? Jesus had been teaching for a while. And in Peter's relationship with Jesus, Peter wanted to make sure he understood everything Jesus was saying. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been here, but if someone says something, you don't really get it, you don't want to feel dumb. So you just pretend like you get it, you nod your head and you move on. Peter's like, I want to know everything you said. Can you explain that parable to us? And Jesus slows down and works through with Peter and the disciples what that parable was all about. I love that. I love that in that friendship, in that relationship, Peter knew. Peter knew that he could go to Jesus and just be himself. Can you help me? Help me understand this. Jesus speaks of his death in Matthew 16. And when he speaks of his death, basically saying out loud that I am going to be killed in Jerusalem, Peter pulls Jesus aside and Peter rebukes Jesus, basically saying, that's not gonna happen. Jesus looks at Peter, and you'll probably remember these words. He looks at Peter and says, and I'm sure Peter will always remember these words, get behind me, Satan. And he says that right at Peter, because at that point, Peter was representing this this temptation to not do what Jesus was called to do. 
And Jesus has the freedom with Peter to be very hard with Peter in that moment, to clarify how wrong that statement was with a strong statement to Peter. And it was okay. He later encourages Peter, but Peter takes it. Peter doesn't say that again. In that relationship, they could have hard conversations. When we get to the Last Supper, Jesus begins washing the feet of the disciples. And this is an act where Jesus is showing that he has come to serve, not to be served. And he does it in a very tangible way. And he gets to Peter, and of course, he's already hit a couple set of feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And then Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you really don't have a place in my kingdom. And what do you think Peter said? Well, wash everything then. Wash my feet, wash everything. And Jesus is just like, you know, your, your feet will be enough. But that's just Peter again, like in the moment, like just wanting everything that he can with Jesus, being outspoken, always saying what he's thinking. And a little bit later in Luke 22, Jesus again pulls Peter aside and he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus is praying for his friend, Simon Peter, that your faith will not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, exclamation point. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times that you know me. I mean, for Peter, can you imagine how hard that was for Peter to hear that? Probably on some level, Peter's like, there's no way that's gonna happen. I will die with you. And then it's not like a mob of angry guys with pitchforks come up to Jesus and say, are you with him? Are you one of those people? A servant girl by the fire looks at Peter and a servant girl says, were you with him? And three times Peter denies that he was with Jesus. The rooster then crows Peter remembers Jesus's words and Peter falls apart. Peter weeps and Peter falls apart. He realizes he's betrayed his savior, his Lord, his closest friend, and it breaks his heart. And at this point, Jesus is already in the process of being tortured to soon be put on a cross. There's no opportunity for another exchange of words between Peter and Jesus as far as Peter knows. What a hard way to end that evening. Let's go to some snapshots of John's journey with Jesus. In Mark 3:17, we meet John. We've already gotten to know his brother James. So there's John and James. And Peter get, Jesus gives these brothers a nickname. He calls them the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. I think it's funny that Jesus gave out nicknames. Peter's nickname was like kind of a visionary we're gonna build you into something. This is kind of more of like a teasing, like you were the sons of thunder. So obviously they were loud. Perhaps they argued a bunch. You know brothers like this. Uh, maybe they were just a little belligerent with one another. They were the sons of thunder. And my first thought is, is if I know a couple guys and they're loud, a little obnoxious, hard to deal with, argumentative, I'm probably gonna distance myself from those guys. Jesus takes the sons of thunder and says, you're my disciples, follow me, and pulls them into his deepest, most inner circle. Isn't that just like Jesus? You guys are a little hard. 
So why don't you be my best friends? That's Jesus. And these two guys are one of the three who watched Jesus raise a girl from the dead. They watched Jesus transfigure into all his glory on the mountainside. They're the ones that went a little deeper into the garden of Gethsemane and got to pray with Jesus right before his death. So John and James in Luke 9, 54 through 56, they're going from village to village to prepare the way for Jesus. And for some reason, I forgot this story. Like I forgot that this happened, that this was John. But it says, when his disciples, James and John saw this, that the villages didn't want Jesus to come, they said, Lord, do you want us? Do you want us to command fire to come down and to consume them? They weren't even saying, Jesus, do you want to do it? They're like, do you want us? You know, you know that fire thing that we do where we call down fire sometimes? you want us to call down fire and just burn all these people up? Like they said that, but Jesus turned and just rebuked them and they just went on to another village. So here's Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. He loves the lost. He's going out of his way to share with the lost his incredible love. And here's James and John, the sons of thunder, wanting to burn them alive. That's what John was like. That's what James was like. Um, in John, in Mark 10, 35 and 38, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, come back up to Jesus and they say to him, and in a parallel passage, their mom is there also. But basically, Jesus, when you're in power, when you're on that throne in your kingdom, in glory, can we sit to your left and your right? Could you pull us up with you? When you climb the ladder, can you make sure we go up the ladder with you? So here's John. He turns this relationship into something a little bit transactional. John actually looks at Jesus as an opportunity to get himself ahead. Jesus becomes an opportunity for power, for authority, to sit in glory. Ugh. When someone in your life begins to use you, how does that make you feel? I don't draw that person close. I push that person away. Jesus draws John close. There's a day in the future when John actually goes on to write the epistle of 1 John, which is all about the incredible love of God in Jesus. And then he calls us to love each other in a deep and profound way. This guy who looked at Jesus as a stepping stone, this guy who wanted to burn people alive, this is the guy that wrote the most incredible epistle on love that we've ever read. This guy, because he spent time with Jesus. And when you spend time with Jesus, everything about you begins to change. There's this interesting story at the Last Supper when Jesus says out loud, one of you, I mean, they're all there, one of you is about to betray me. John is sitting right beside Jesus. Peter must be sitting close to John. And Peter wants to know who it is that Jesus is talking about. Jesus, John, Peter's right over here. Instead of Peter speaking over John directly to Jesus, he basically pokes John and says, would you ask him who he's talking about? Peter even saw this incredibly strong friendship between John and Jesus. Peter, who never holds his tongue, actually in that moment, you know, the guy that never reads social cues, he's like, I think I should ask John. Because if I ask John, Jesus will tell us. And he does. John asks Jesus and Jesus says, and it obviously is Judas Iscariot. If we go all the way to the cross, we have Jesus on the cross. 
as he's looking down from the cross, there's John. Many of the disciples have run away. They've fled and deserted Jesus. John is at the foot of the cross. And beside John is Mary, Jesus' mother. And there's a point on the cross where Jesus looks at John and says, behold, your mother. And then from that hour, the disciple took her into his household. The guy who wanted to bring flames on those who disbelieved in Jesus. The guy who wanted to use Jesus as a way to climb the social ladder now becomes beloved and trusted to the point where Jesus puts his mother Mary into John's home to be loved and to be cared for. John's the one who wrote the Gospel of John, which is the great evangelistic gospel. Through the Gospel of John, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people have come to know Jesus. This is John, the one who wanted to call down fire. God used him to share the gospel over and over and over again. His epistle of love teaches us what it looks like to be wise and gentle and kind, not self-promoting, not judgmental, not angry, but the opposite. Being with Jesus transformed John into another type of person. He literally became the opposite of some of the things that he was. As we spend time with Jesus, as we daily get time in his word and time in prayer, as we're with people in our lives who reflect Jesus to us and the way they treat us and the honesty and the encouragement, all the things we need to hear, we become more and more like Jesus. Jesus meets us where we are, in your quirkiness, in your weakness, in your brokenness. But he doesn't leave us there, thank goodness. From that place, he befriends us in such a way that he can grow us, transform us, and change us to be more like him. And then he uses us in the lives of others. The friendship that we have with Jesus becomes a friendship we have with others. He uses us to help transform others more into his likeness. Let's circle back one more time to Peter. When we left Peter, he was weeping because he had just denied Jesus. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus reinstates Peter. Jesus pulls Peter aside and he says this. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? All this, do you love me more than this? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs or feed my sheep or take care of those who will believe in me. And then he goes on and does this a couple times. So Jesus pulls Peter aside to have this interaction. He's kind of reinstating Peter. He's giving Peter the opportunity to express his love three times. Peter denied Jesus three times, so three times he gets to express to Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Jesus' response is, now you then show that love to others. Shepherd, lead, take care of those who are my people. A couple things stick out to me from this is one, we are never too far gone. He straight up denied Jesus. He said, I'll never deny you. Then he denies Jesus. And Jesus says, do you love me? I do, Jesus. You're a leader in my church. What? That's not how you and I would handle relationships. That's not how you and I would often treat people, but that's what Jesus does. You're never too far gone. 
if you're out in the waves and you're starting to sink because you're overwhelmed with the wind and the water and the aggressiveness of what's going on around you, his hand is still extended. You're never too far gone. It's Peter who then functions as one of the key leaders in the church. Right in the beginning of the book of Acts, Peter preaches the gospel and says, 3,000 come to know Christ. Jesus uses this man to lead his sheep, to feed his sheep. Jesus took this impulsive, quick-tongued young guy and befriended him. He faithfully built into him over time. He patiently gave him space and room to go for it and to fail. And over time, Jesus would pick him up again and again and again. And Peter became a loving, mature, and wise pastor who loved people well, just like Jesus did. And Jesus not only prepared Peter to pastor, Jesus prepared Peter for death. In verse 18 of John 21, he's still talking to Peter after he reinstates him and says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put a belt on you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now he said this indicating by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he said this, he said to Peter, follow me. He just told Peter, you're gonna die in a pretty hard way. And his response to that is, in the moment is, Peter, and you're gonna follow me. You follow me. The first time Jesus interacted with Peter, you know what he told him to do? Follow me. At the end of Peter's life, he's called to follow Jesus. Same for you, same for me, always. Now this isn't scripture, but church history says this about Peter. The apostle Peter was condemned to death during the persecution of Nero. Although some say he escaped, it is known that many Christians encouraged him to leave the city. And the story goes that when he came to the city's gate, and I don't know why, but this is just crazy powerful to me. It's not scripture, but it says, Peter saw Jesus coming to meet him. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replies, I'm coming again to be crucified. Seeing that his suffering was understood, Peter returned to the city where Jerome tells us that he was crucified head down at his own request, saying that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. That encounter at the gate, Jesus is basically saying, come, I'm going to experience the pain with you. I'm going to be crucified again. And Peter goes into the city and experiences crucifixion upside down. So when Peter exclaimed that he would die for Jesus, now as an older Christian, as a more mature Christian who has been shaped and transformed by Jesus, he now can faithfully die for Jesus. He was called to follow Jesus and he did. Each of us as individuals, as families, as this church together, things are gonna hit us as a church. We're gonna have moments that are really hard as a church. Sometimes we're not gonna see exactly where we're going or what the future consists of as the church. Sometimes we're gonna be called to sacrifice individually or as a church. The message 
always remains the same. We look to Jesus and Jesus says, follow me, follow me, follow me. May we do so. So Jesus took these men and he radically changed them and these men changed the world. He can do that with anyone who befriends Jesus. If you befriend Jesus, he will change you and transform you. Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He won't leave you there. He grows us, he transforms us, and he uses us in the lives of those around us. This is the thing that only Jesus does. Draw near to Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what's going on in your mind, your heart, follow Jesus. This day, the next day, and even on your last day. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for your friendship. You've given everything to us and for us that we might follow you. May we be a church, may we be a people that know you, love you, trust you, and follow you. When the waves come, when the winds get fierce and we start to sink, Jesus, extend your hand. May we look for it, grab it, and with great thankfulness and encouragement, draw close to you. May we follow you now, tomorrow, and forever. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.